Hey there, it's Ariel Hawani, one-third of the fastest-growing show in combat sports. I'm Chuck Mendenhall. And I'm P.T. Carroll, and together we are 3 Puck. Join us on the Spotify Live app after every UFC pay-per-view and become a part of the best community in mixed martial arts. Or, if you can't make it, check out the Ringer MMA Show podcast exclusively on Spotify. See you then. Love yous. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hello and welcome to a Monday edition of the Ringer NFL show. I am Ben Solak. I was about to say like, as always, that's how I usually intro these things, but it turns out we're not on an as always schedule. We're on the August preseason preview schedule, which means it's rotating hosts here on the Ringer NFL feed and rotating guests. I am joined today by the man, Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, what's going on, buddy? Thanks. I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast, Ben. Yes, definitely. With this, I'm a guest. This is a shot that was called by me for sure. Uh, we have been going through the NFL and kind of breaking it down from every one of thousands, a myriad of kaleidoscope of angles as we look forward to this 2022 season. Steven, you and I today are doing players who are going to make the leap. Very Kevin Clark-esque podcast title here. What does make the leap mean? It's kind of open-ended, which is fun. You can kind of sneak some dudes in there. But in general, a make-the-leap player for me, I don't know about for you, was a player who has the ability to be much better than they are, has the ability to have like a bigger role and, a, and, 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 and more talent, more production than perhaps they've shown to this point in their career, whether it's been a long or a short career. And this is the year we expect that to happen. And in doing so, they'll kind of rise up into the national visibility, rise up in the national prominence. So I have three names. You have three names. Want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. I'm going to start with uh, Gabe Davis, Bill's receiver. A I'm a big Gabe Davis guy, man. Big Gabe I, Davis guy. I can't, I can't get over his film. I love his film so much. And uh, it's not just that he caught four touchdowns against the Chiefs. I know that's like been a big driving force behind the, the Gabe Davis discourse this offseason. But you watch that game and other games at the end of the year and... This he can run some routes like he's not just like a big contested catch guy. He knows how to use his body. He knows how to use mm-hmm. his frame to box out cornerbacks and do so like during the route, not necessarily at the catch point, which I think is a, a big thing for bigger receivers. Like I don't think DK Metcalf, for instance, is that type of route runner at this point in his career. I think he's more right. of a I'm just big and fast and just throw the ball up to me and I'll go and run under it. Whereas Gabe Davis, I, I really think he creates separation and he does it by leaning on smaller cornerbacks and kind of breaking away from that, from their leverage. He, I think he can 
change the pace of his routes at times. And then I do think he's just fast and big. And that's like a good thing to have in, in the NFL. Like uh, I've been saying all off season, big, fast players tend to beat slow, small players. And Gabe yeah, that's Davis, just, that, that's the analysis, baby, right there. That's the science. Yeah. All right. If you are big and fast, you're going to beat the short and slows. Welcome to the that's, NFL show. That's the market inefficiency. Get big, fast dudes. But, and I think Josh Allen trusts them. Mm. And you could see that in the Chiefs game. He went to to Gabe Davis in key points in that game. And some of those throws he anticipated. It wasn't like Gabe Davis was like running wide open. He threw it early and trusted Gabe Davis to be in the spot that he should be in. And it worked out. So I'm a big Gabe Davis guy. And I think if he has a big year, the Bills probably finish first in the AFC. Yes, I think the Bills are right now the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Also the favorite to come out of the AFC is the number one seed. Last year... Gabe Davis had uh, he played 18 games if we're including the playoffs. He did not have more than eight targets in his first 11, 12 games. And then across the course of the final six games of the season, four regular season games, and then two more in the playoffs, eight targets, seven targets, three, 14 targets, three in the wild card round against New England. And then, of course, that Kansas City game that you brought up, 10 targets, eight catches, 201 yards and four touchdowns, along with the broken and snapped ankles of Dane. Was it Dane Jackson? Levi Wallace? Whoever that, that poor son of a gun was on, the, on that little corner post on that touchdown that it yeah. got screen capped into oblivion. Uh, it's never really been super high volume for Gabe Davis. Like He no. has not borne what you expect to see from a wide receiver too, especially in the past happiest team in the league, which is the Buffalo Bills. He had 63 total targets over the regular season last year. So what is like, is it Davis is going to break out in the sense that like he's going to become a Will Fuller, Marquez Valdez Scantling type, or like because he is big and he has speed and he was a downfield guy for them last year, like he's going to become one of those preeminent downfield dudes. Like Diggs is the target hog, Isaiah McKenzie is the Cole Beasley, he's the slot guy, Dawson Ox in the red zone, and just Gabe Davis is going to be known kind of as really good field stretcher for a very high powered, very downfield passing game. Or are you more so looking at like Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb? Right. Like we like, you know, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Cooper Cup. We have two legitimate top receivers here in Buffalo with Stefan and Gabe Davis. What's your expectation? I think it's the first one. I think he's going to be the guy running those big posts off play action. We kind of saw it at the end of last year. And I think that's kind of what the Bills offense is going to major in this year is like under center deep shots. Uh, And Gabe Davis makes the most sense to run those routes. And I know like the production hasn't been there, but I think there are like obvious explanations for that. He was in a crowded wide receiver room last year, which he doesn't have to worry about. Emmanuel Sanders is gone. Cole Beasley is gone. I think when he was on the field, he got targets. It wasn't like he wasn't getting targets when he was on the field. He just didn't get enough snaps. And when the ball was going his way, they were the most productive snaps on an efficiency basis for the Bills last year. They were more efficient than Stefan Diggs' targets. They were more efficient than Sanders or Dawson Knox or Cole Beasley's targets. Right. And And that was with him having a bit of a drop problem, at least by the numbers. Like when you watch his film, you're not really like, oh, his hands are a problem. But you look back over the course of the season, he had like a 10% drop rate. I think that's more of Josh Allen trusting him to make catches in traffic more than it was this guy can't catch. And despite those drops, still, like I said, on on a per target basis, he was the most efficient receiver and he converted first downs at the highest rate for the Bills. I would not be surprised if he's a pro bowler. I don't think he's like a a top 20 receiver by any means, but I think he could catch like 10 touchdowns or a dozen touchdowns. And if if Buffalo's throwing the ball as much under Ken Dorsey as they were under Brian Dable, then he's going to have the stats that go up against another guy, even if maybe that guy's more talented just because he sees more targets. Yeah, and I think he's going to get like 
high leverage targets in the red zone. So I think that will pad his stats. It's funny. I was I'm gonna change the order of my guys because my first exposure to Gabe Davis was when Davis was at UCF and beat the brakes off of a Stanford corner that I thought was going to be really good in the league. And that was Paulson Adebo. Uh, Paulson Adebo as a true sophomore at Stanford had like an unbelievable season, tons of ball production, pick sixes. He was an ex receiver recruit, right? So there was like so much hype for this guy. And then he goes back for his next season and it just simply wasn't as good. He did not have as good of a year in his junior year as he did before he was eligible as a sophomore. One of the reasons why it wasn't as good is because Stanford played UCF and he ran into Gabe Davis with, it would have been Mackenzie Milton, I think at this time, still throwing the yes, ball. Yeah. And they just launched the thing on Odebo all game long. It was just vertical, 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 vertical. And Odebo had plays where he was in a good position, plays where he wasn't, and it just didn't matter. It was just a huge day for Gabe Davis. So Odebo falls a little bit in the draft sphere, in, in the eyes of the league. He's drafted in the third round last season by the New Orleans Saints. Dennis Allen, baby. And, just a, and Mickey Loomis, and a team that has been ludicrously good, just absurdly good at drafting defensive players outside of the first round. Demario Davis, Trey Hendrickson, Marcus Williams, Chauncey Garner-Johnson, and just immediately developing clear starting players. Paulson Adebo last year was awesome. Now, he's not going to be a corner one, and so he doesn't get the run that J.C. Horn gets in Carolina, that Pat Sertan gets in Denver. Two names that I would say that like aren't really breakout candidates, because even if like Sertan, who I know you and I both ranked his top five corners, we think he's incredible people pretty much know who he is and they know his name. Yeah. Maybe he'll come to greater appreciation, but to me, not really like a make the leap sort of a guy. Paulson Adebo doesn't have that sort of name recognition. But man, you start to put this film up that he had uh, against like, you know, Eric Stokes in Green Bay and Asante Samuel Jr. in, 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 uh, in Los Angeles with the Chargers and these other, you know, young corners that are vying for attention. It's really, really rock solid. He benefits tremendously from Dennis Allen staying with the Saints and having the opportunity to get coached by him for another year, stay in the same system. He benefits tremendously from the press man orientation of that system. No defense in the league is like, hey, let's get our guys on the line and bully as much as this league is, as much as this defense is here in New Orleans. He's got long arms. He's got good feet. He's extremely good in the contact window. He takes away routes right away. And then because he's an ex-receiver, he has route recognition. He has ball skills. When this Saints defense works, and it works way more often than not, it works because Lattimore's locking up a dude on that side and Adebo's locking up the dude on the other side and everything else in the middle they can get away with, right? And they're going to try to get away with some more things this year, right? That corner duo last season was protected by Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams. This year, it's Marcus May and Tyron Matthew. Good? Not as good. And so you're going to ask your corners to do more inherently when your safety group isn't as good, obviously still with, with Chauncey Garner-Johnson there at the nickel. And so... To me, if there, if I start thinking through some of these young defenders who are really, really quality and deserve more visibility, and I think are going to earn more visibility, Paulson Adebo jumps to mind because if the Saints are good this year, and I'm not even convinced about that altogether, but a lot of people like think the Saints might do another playoff run, even with Jameis back there. If they do, it's going to be on the back of the defense. And if the defense is successful, I think Paulson Adebo is going to get his day in the sun. So to me... Uh, for the Gabe Davis-Paulson-Adebo connection, I'll take the other side of that 2019-2020 UCF-Stanford battle. I'll take Paulson-Adebo. All right, my second pick is Paulson-Adebo from the no, Saints. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It 100% oh, is. It. Damn it. We were so confident we were going to double one. Yeah, we were very we wrong. 
we picked six players and we, we doubled <laughs> one up. <laughs> My God. But no, everything you said, I agree with. And I know like the Richard Sherman comp is so easy and convenient because of Stanford, because like you said, he was recruited as a receiver. But man, there are some reps in that Seattle game where I, I'm like, that looks just like Richard Sherman. Like he does like the little six inch read step that the Seahawks yep. corners does, flips his hips, runs with the vertical. And he is very good at making the receiver look more open than he actually is. And then closing that space in an instant. I think that's one of his bigger, uh, his better attributes. I think he baited Tom Brady into an interception and in it might've been the second game. I think it was the game in uh, Tampa, but he has some really good reps against really good receivers and receivers that are tough to cover. Like he has some good reps against Chris Godwin, who I think is a good player. He has a, a couple good ones against Tyler Lockett in that Seattle game where it was like, he wasn't playing early in that game. And, it seemed like at some point uh, Dennis Allen was just like, all right, screw this. We're going to stop playing mm-hmm. zone. We're going to play man coverage and we're going to blitz the hell out of uh, Jameis. Or, not Jameis, sorry, Gino. We're uh-huh. going to do both of those things. So let's play Paulson to Debo and now we can do it. And then it worked. And it's because he could lock down Tyler Lockett and you could put Lattimore on DK Metcalf. And I think having Marshawn Lattimore across the field kind of helps uh, oh, yeah. a Debo. Always but does. I, but I think it's like vice versa because having two dudes that can play that style of coverage, as you alluded to, which is a hard style of coverage to play for a corner allows Dennis Allen to call those plays. Whereas you look at like the Rams and Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey's kind of like playing against type. He's like playing off and he's playing a lot of zone in, in Los Angeles, mostly because the Rams don't have another corner where right. they could play a bunch of man coverage. So I think they kind of help out each other. Adebo's presence kind of allows Lattimore to play his best style of football because you can't just play press man across the board when you have good one, one good corner. Yeah. And one thing like we, we are enamored with in the public space, the idea of the shadow corner, right? The corner is so good at man coverage. He can go everywhere, which like in reality, that list is like, all right, Jalen Ramsey, <laughs> JC Jackson, like in New England sometimes with the help of, of having Belichick there. Whereas that Seattle team could play left, right corner. And it is beneficial if you can get away with it to play left, right corner because of muscle memory. Like it's just when you're doing like that six inch read step and you're doing that, that, that press man style, you, there's so much muscle memory there that if you train both sides, which you certainly should, you're just not going to get the same amount of time as if you always have the sideline to your right. You're just going like, to gonna become more comfortable. It's like, you know, the, tackles of league left tackles right tackles they always make the analogy of like it's it's like wiping with a different hand right like yeah it's the same thing but it just feels weird when you have to switch sides so if you have an adebo who's really good at man coverage which he's not here yet but if he is you can leave Lattimore on the left and you can put adebo on the right and you don't have to move guys around and that is to their benefit in terms of like developmentally and like the finer points of the position and so adebo i agree with you like there's a little bit chicken and egg in terms of how much the scheme helps him but also if you have a corner two who can play legit man, how much it helps the scheme kind of all together. And the defense is just like a rising tide that lifts all boats. It also helps from the other perspective, like from the quarterback reading the defense when those guys are always in the same spot because then you get man yeah. zone tells if you're moving those guys around and they're shadowing specific guys. Yeah, and if you right, if you can just pass it off, it becomes a lot easier. I'm curious to see like, you brought up the good point where like they put a deep in when they wanted to play man and then throughout the course of the season just kind of left him in there because he was playing well. He does it would be beneficial to him to be better in zone, but also he was a good zone corner coming out. And I think that he can be better in zone at the NFL level. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, 
you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. So should I go to my number two now? Is that what we should do here? Yeah, let's do yeah. that. Because I'm a host, so I know how the order of things goes. All right. Uh, another second-year player. Uh, there is a ton of excitement for second-year running back Javante Williams out of Denver. And I just have never really gotten on that train. I think Javante is a talented player, but it, like the hype is just too much for me. When I go and I look at backs that I'm really excited about entering year two, I look at Ramondre Stevenson in New England. And this is an interesting one because like, the entire New England offense might be bad. So it's kind of hard to really put your chest into like, Ramondre is going to break out because you're worried about everything in New England floundering around him to the point where he's not going to get visibility. He's not really going to make a leap because he just can't do it in that environment. But James White has officially announced that he is retiring. The longtime third down, scat back, pass catching back for the New England Patriots is retiring. Well, who's going to take these reps? You have Pierre Strong, Day three running back out of South Dakota State, who the Patriots selected. You have Damian Harris, the incumbent veteran back. And then you also have Ramondre Stevenson, who only saw 17 targets last year, but had 14 catches, 123 yards. He only ran 80 routes altogether. He was uh, 1.54 yards per route run with a negative depth of target. He was doing a ton after the catch. He averaged over 10 yards after the catch per reception. Now, a lot of that is because he was used as a screen target, but that's okay. Like, if you're really good on screens, you're going to warrant more receiving touches in general. And it's something Ramondre has said he's worked a lot on in this past offseason. When you look at training camp reports, you see that Ramondre is taking third down snaps, right? Without James White at all playing in training camp, the Patriots have put both Ramondre and Damian Harris in on third down. So I think Ramondre has the opportunity to do more as a receiver altogether with James White gone. Then you look at the running game, and the Patriots are 
rather controversially making this change to zone running. They were a power man gap blocking team last year. And it's funny because when Ramondre was at Oklahoma, that's what they're doing. They're doing gap and they were doing man stuff. And when you have this 235 pound back, which is what he was in, in, when he was at Oklahoma and he was listed like 230, 235 in his first year in New England, you're just thinking, all right, it's a gap back. It's a power back. He's going to put his foot in the ground one step and go. And then you watch Ramondre play and he's got the sweetest freaking feet, man. Like it's just, it's, he's a very, it, we always talk about like, do the skills match the traits? Like does the way he play match the physical tools that he has? And Ramondre is like a little bit dissonant in that regard. He doesn't put his chest down and finish runs the way you would expect for a big back to do. He likes to make people miss, which is weird when you're that size, but he makes it work because he's got great intuition, great feel, really nice vision. And like, yeah, you'd love to get those traits into like a 205 pound burst to your back. But at the same time, he, it works for him. He's able to get through the narrow gaps. He's able to manipulate linebackers. He showed that Oklahoma and he showed that in his first year in New England. So I think a move to zone blocking benefits Ramondre over Damian Harris, who is also like a smart and efficient runner, but to me has just always been a little bit better in that gap power world and just doesn't have the same juice that Ramondre does holding the football. So to me, when I look at the best back in New England's backfield, I see Ramondre Stevenson. I see that over Damian Harris. I know James White is gone. I think they're moving to a backfield, a running game that orients itself to his skill set. And finally, per reports as of like two days ago, the Patriots were taking calls on Damian Harris. They're not actively trying to move him and yada, yada, whatever. But it was enough juice that I saw, you know, here's hypothetical trade for the Eagles to send to Damian Harris fan account tweets, which to me is like the barometer for like, okay, there's definitely some actual trade hype around this guy. So if the Patriots are willing to take those calls on Harris, to me, that speaks to the level of confidence that they have in Ramondre, a player who was always better than his fourth round drafts uh, uh, ranking had him. because He was a fourth round pick, had some, you know, off the field stuff in college with a little bit more of a risk, goes to New England, has a great first season. So to me, you can keep your Javante hype. I think that Melvin Gordon is the better back in that backfield. If I'm looking for an exciting young breakout running back, I'm looking to New England and Ramondre Stevenson. I kind of like those big backs in like that the zone schemes. I don't know yeah. much about the run game when it comes to run game or like evaluating running backs. I I'm, I don't know ball, uh, but uh, those big backs and those those one cut systems always always work. Like Derrick Henry, obviously uh, the Titans run a lot of duo, it's but the, they do run a yeah. It's the Jay Ajayi, Arian Foster theorem, where it's just like, man, if you can get a back large enough to be smart enough in this game, and now linebackers are coming to tackle him moving horizontally while he's moving vertically, he's going to win that exchange, yeah. and it's going to be a punishing exchange time and time and time again. They're going to run through those arm tackles. Yeah. They're gonna, and, and like you said, Ramondi's just a, a terror to tackle. Like I would, I would not want to tackle him. And it's not, like, it's not just him barreling you over. It's just like it's annoying as hell to like, Get square. It's hard to square him up and tackle him. Yeah, and get a good hit on him. He changes his angles. He gets like skinny. He's he's got a cool skill set, man. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. If he has a big year, he kind of has to have a big year, right? For the Patriots, for this to work, for this offense mm -hmm. to work, like the back needs to be involved, and I think the screen game has to be good. And if it doesn't, I I, I don't know that I don't I don't have much hope for the Patriots offense this year if if he doesn't have a big year. I also have a running back. All right, um, Dobbins. No, no, I don't have Dobbins. I have, uh, he was a former first round pick. He was good. He was like elite for six games last year. It's Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny. Oh, and great really, one. Great one. Who I think, based on film, not on production, what he's done, I think there are two clear, there's mm -hmm. one tier at the top of the running back hierarchy. And that is, for me at least, Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor. Agreed. And I would argue that talent-wise, oh, no. Rashad Penny is number three. 
if he continues what he did last year. Because the, the film is amazing. He moves differently than everyone else on the field with that big body, and it's it's different. Who else is in tier two for you? Uh, in terms I, of I, talent. I, in terms of talent, I would put like Dalvin Cook is in there, obviously. Cook, uh, McCaffrey? McCaffrey, obviously. Henry? D- yes, Henry. Like, yeah, all those guys. I'm putting them in that group. And I think he... Wow. And I'm really putting him on this list because I think that the Seahawks offense is going to be better than people think it's going to be. Because, I do too. Because of the run game. And he loves mid-zone. He loves the under-center stuff okay, too. Well, mid-zone is fake, as we've discussed many times off-air. It's fake, but not if you're Sean McVay. Sean McVay <laughs> believes it and all his friends believe in it. So to them, it's real. It's, it's real to them, damn it. Uh, but he was talking about how much he loves like running those those zone plays from under center in, earlier in the offseason. And they're going to do more of that because Russ is gone. And you don't need to call shotgun as much. So I think this offense, like they're losing their quarterback, the best player on it. But I think this offense is going to be better. It's going to be a net positive. And they're going to really be able to build the offense around Rashad Penny. Now the question is, does he stay healthy? Is he that back we saw for six games last year at the end of the year? And if he is, I'm predicting like the 15th offense ranked in DVOA. Above average, objectively speaking, Seattle Seahawks offense, baby. That's right. Let's get, okay. And, And they're ranked 14th and the Broncos are ranked like 11th. And then we just get some unbelievable... Seahawks Twitter just total dissolution if that's the case. I cannot wait for that week one game, man. That is that is the <laughs> game. Yeah. There's sometimes with the NFL schedule something I'm like, all right, that's very on the nose. You need to relax. Week one Monday night football in Seattle, Denver, Seahawks. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm okay with that. It's extremely on the nose, but it's going to be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. It's going to be the weirdest game ever. Imagine already having a bet on that game. Could not be me. Anyway. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. We're not moving on after that. Who did you bet on? <laughs> Seahawks money line. Oh, man. That's a good it's, bet. I think, it was, I think it was like plus 150, plus 155, something like that. I can go find it in a sec. Um, that's the problem with hosting is I can't do all the Googling that I usually like to do during podcasts because I have to like talk and be ready for the next thing. All right. Rashad Penny. I actually love that one. I wish I'd... I, if I would thought of Rashad Penny, I don't think he would have made it on my list, but he definitely would have been like a fun little honorable mention. Uh, my final guy is actually kind of similar in terms of career arc, where it's not like he's been drafted in the last couple of years, but he was a very high caliber athlete, probably drafted a little bit earlier than he should have been. Also an end of the first round pick. Everybody every year has been ready for the breakout and for injuries or other reasons it hasn't come, but low key, very quietly, I think he's becoming what he's supposed to be. And that's Brown's tight end, David Njoku. The whole book on Njoku coming out of Miami was that he's a great receiver and he's a great athlete, got good hands, he can run down the field. Obviously, he's not going to be a great blocker for you, but whatever, it's worth it. The receiving talent really never manifested itself the way you wanted it to. He had one really quality season in like 2019, I want to say, right? He had that incredible year. might have been 2020. Uh, But then other than that, just like up and down. He's been off the field a little bit. Receiving talent didn't really translate. Very quietly, while all that has been going on, like fantasy guys are disappointed. It's not what they hoped he would be the blocking has just gotten incrementally better and incrementally better and incrementally better. I remember watching the Browns-Chiefs game early in the year last year and just being like, you've got to be... When did David and Joku start doing this? Where it's just like, he can actually seal an edge. He can actually get on the hoof and block a guy in the second level. I'm not here to tell you he's Nick Boyle, 
But he is, he is a functional blocking tight end in an offense that puts multiple tight ends on the field with the intent to run the football. And for as much as the Browns pull dudes, because like we all came in and like, you know, Kevin Stefanski, zone, 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 zone. They pull a lot of guys. And Joku's very important to that because he's so good on the hoof. He's so good at blocking when he gets out of the second level. He can like target, track a guy, get to his hip and actually carry him. They let Austin Hooper walk, which like, duh, they let Austin Hooper walk. It's Austin Hooper. But they let Austin Hooper walk and then gave Njoku a four-year, $56.75 million extension, which very simply, like, we shouldn't say a player is good because a team is paying him, but when a team pays a guy that much, especially a tight end, they are telling you they're going to use him. And in terms of efficiency, Njoku had one of his best seasons last year. He had 13.2 yards per reception. It was 1.56 yards uh, per route run, which was 11th among tight ends. It's like, He's in the Travis, like it's Travis Kelsey, eight, Darren Waller, nine, Dan Arnold, 10, Noah Fant, 12, Hunter Henry, 13, TJ Hawkinson, 14, Zach Ertz, 14, Dalton Schultz, 15. It's, he's not Mark Andrews. He's not like actually Kelsey or Kittle or whatever. But when we start to get to like tier two and tier three of receiving tight ends, which like tight ends, not that deep of a position where like it really matters that much if you have a tier two or tier three tight end, but he is there. Like he, no, he didn't hit like a first round tight end, like crazy, like he's taking over league. He's not like what we expect Kyle Pitts to be. But Njoku's a good tight end. He's a good NFL tight end who can do both things on the field. And now there's no other... He's going to be on the field for every single freaking snap for the Browns because they they live with tight ends on the field. Behind him is like Harrison Bryant and some other dude. They are going to constantly play Njoku. He is important to the running game. And he was an efficient pass catcher last year when he received targets. We don't really know what the Browns quarterback situation is going to be in terms of how many games Deshaun Watson's going to play, but Jacoby Brissett's going to play. But if Njoku gets high volume, he's going to look like one of the best receiving tight ends in the league who can also hang around and block. David Njoku, baby. We knew it all along. It just took us like five years to get there. Yeah, I think he's not like a, he's not a third down tight end. He's not like a guy where you're like going to drop a play for him to get a first down, like Darren Waller, Mm -hmm. for instance. But first and second down, the player you're describing, the tight end you're describing, I think is one of the more useful tight ends in the league in those situations. It almost helps him that his reputation as a receiver has kind of fallen off over the course of, his, of the year because now teams are matching up with him like he's a blocker. They're got You have to play base defense against the Browns no matter what. It doesn't matter. So now you can draw up plays where he's he could just use his athleticism rather than his route mm-hmm. running know-how and just be the linebacker downfield. And that's all the Browns need him to do with that type of offense. They don't need him to line out, like isolate on the backside of trips and beat a safety in coverage. They don't need that. Right. So like I, he, I agree. Yeah. He took over 50% of his snaps in line, right? Which you're like, okay, yeah, he's a tight end. But really, that's like less than half of the tight ends in the league actually take a majority of their snaps in line. And when you read through the names, right? Like, I'm going to go from most in-line snaps down. Tyler Conklin, Farrell Brown, Jeff Swaim, Albert O, Noah Fant. So there you go. Foster Moreau, Durham Smythe, Pat Frymuth, Jordan Aikens, Ryan Griffin, George Kittle, Adam Troutman, Austin Hooper, Gronk, CJ Uzoma. You're taking a joke over all these dudes, right? In terms of like... Definitely the receiving ability. And then I think blocking-wise, like, yeah, is he like, again, is he Nick Boyle? No, but he's good. And so when you start to look at like traditional-wise, dudes who line up attached to the tackle, and Joke is one of the better ones in the league in an offense that desperately needs that role. And so like maybe, I don't know, maybe he won't break out because like fantasy owners hate him by this point and like he never was what they wanted him to be. So like making the leap doesn't count in terms of like the national discourse, like the public eye. And Joku's a lot better of a player than I thought he was. And I wanted to get him in in this conversation. And I feel like the pendulum has kind of swung back to the the guys that can block a little. Like there was a time when we were like, oh, we want mismatch tight ends. We want guys that are mm-hmm. basically receivers. Like Mike Gesicki, for instance. 
now like teams are matching yeah. those like that those personnel groupings with nickel or dime. So it doesn't really matter. You kind of lose the advantage that's built in to having a tight end like that. And I think Njoku and, and tight ends that you listed like that can that can play attached to the line uh the offensive line. I think that's the way to go now. You need that mm-hmm. tight end. The the blocking is almost more valuable now than the receiving. At least I, I think it's it's gotten back to where it's at least closer to even. I don't know. Reject modernity, embrace tradition, block with your tight ends. Well, the, the thing is this is like I think we were like, yo, matchup tight ends are incredible. And then all it took was defenses being like, yeah, we're not going to treat that dude like a tight end, right? Like the Dolphins led the league in 12 personnel last year. Nobody was matching that jaw and base <laughs> because they knew what Kasiki was. So all it took was like defenses being like, okay, we know what that guy is to solve that. Now it's like, all right, you just need a, a matchup dude. You need a guy in a spot where he's not usually and he can work from there so as to cause problems. But about big dudes, right? Talk about power slots a lot. We're talking about wide receivers in the backfield. We're talking about running backs in the slot, right? You just need to be able to move guys. That's all well and good. You also, like, you know, when it comes to, like, you know, third and five, you want a one-on-one route-running winner at wide receiver. Doesn't matter where he is. Like, you still need a guy who has the talent. And when it comes to tight end, like, yeah, guys who can flex out on the slot, flex out wide. Sick. Great. Awesome. At some point, you need to run power. You can't run power without a Y, baby. You, you, like, I'm like college teams are. But it's very difficult to run power without a sixth blocker attached to the line who can do his job. And so this is where your, your value for a player like David Njoku comes into the building. Do you know who ruined the mismatch tight end? For everyone, the 2017 Eagles and Zach Ertz. That was, was that? The, that was the that was just the end. They're like, okay, we're we're not going to treat these guys like tight ends anymore. It's enough. Enough. You're, we're not treating these guys like tight ends. Yeah. Do you want to know who ruined 12 personnel for everybody? <laughs> 2018 <laughs> for <those> Eagles <laughs> right. after they drafted Dallas Goddard. And it was like the Eagles are playing 12 personnel. Everybody should do this forever. And listen, I did also write one of those pieces. It's just again, did. turns out all it takes is NFL defense is being like, oh. We get it. And then making <laughs> one change and then you're fine. Oh, if only football were that easy. Uh, Steven, you have an honorable mentions list. Do you have extra guys that you listed that you want to get out? No, I did the bare minimum. I mean, like there are obvious guys like the right. quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence obviously is one of those guys like uh, Devontae Smith. I have, I, I think is going to have a big year. Uh, just the big, the, the names that you already know. I, I, I do the bare minimum. Yeah, no, I hear you. I also was like, should I talk about Trevor Lawrence? I was like, you know what? Probably not, because I'm going to talk about Trevor Lawrence at some point, and this is the podcast where you get the guys in that you're not sure going to be able to talk about otherwise. This has been Megan Leap Candidates, then, with Ben and Steven, a list that we will certainly uh, circle back to when, like, Ramondre Stevenson makes one good play in Week 8. Like, we told you, and then we just don't mention the other players we brought up because they are exactly the same as they were. You will forget that, we will remember, and we will be justified. Thank you, as always, to our production team on with their help on this episode. That's Mike Wargan in the booth with Arjuna Ramgapol and Connor Nevins in the background and their additional production supervision. This has been the Ringer NFL Show. We are coming to you five days a week. We're doing it all of August. We are setting up our in-season plans, which will be announced, I don't know, when some my boss tells me it's time to announce them. I'm not the one who makes that call. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>